guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits, a Mid-Trap podcast. So what are you doing this week, Mike? Not much. It was nice to have a three-day weekend for President's Day. That was a blessing. And um, I posted a graphic. I posted some fun facts about each of the four presidents in the Mid-Trap universe. I didn't have much for that. That our newcomer. Nice. Yeah, our newcomer, Anthony Cook. But uh, hopefully, Enemy at the Gates in a few months will fill in the gaps on uh, on that guy. How about you? What's up? I'm pretty good. Head off today because of the snow, the weather. So government closed. Uh, speaking of weather, it, it's interesting. Not interesting. It's really sad that uh, everyone in Texas has been go, having to go through these blackouts and stuff. But every time, you know, I listen to the daily, the New York times daily podcast and they had on a guy who was talking about the electric grid. And, you know, I think I knew more than this guy because, uh, <laughs> I had already done all the research thanks to Kyle's book. So, I mean, Kyle, Kyle predicted that a grid would go down. Uh, actually not the grid that go, you know, not the grids that go down in the, in the, um, but yeah, like, cause Texas is on its own grid. That's why they didn't have enough yeah. power. Anyways, I just thought that it was, it was interesting that I knew more about this stuff than like the New York times reporter. And, and Texas in total power actually is up and running a little bit better than the rest of the country because they are so isolated right, because they're on the grid. Yeah. Yeah. This is the flip. They get hit and the rest of the country is, is set global warming, man. I posted our episode 21 and 25, which were our, our two research episodes about the U.S. power grid. So hopefully a couple of listeners out there will revisit those in light of recent events. You know, amateurs right. doing research what they can on the power grid. But you find some really quite <laughs> scary stuff, even if you just scratch the surface. Michael Bobaro was like, wow, it's amazing how susceptible our power grid is. And it's like, yeah, if you've been listening to Kyle Mills for the past year, you would have known. <laughs> have you met Mitrap? <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, we are the Mitrap Podcast. <laughs> and if you like what's coming yes. to you, please help us out. You can subscribe, rate, and review on any podcasting platforms, but Apple Podcast helps the most. If you can open that app, the podcast app is automatically on every iPhone, so if you could just open it up, click five stars for us, write a little review about what you enjoy about the show, it would mean a lot. It helps us get recognized and spreads the word. So thank you very much. Speaking of our listeners, we got another shout-out to give. He got a shout-out for Consent to Kill about a month ago, Stephen Hendricks. Stephen Hendricks on Facebook He's plowing through these books, man. Plowing through books. Every week he puts up maybe two, two or three different thriller drink pairings. And so I asked, hey, what do you think for Act of Treason? We got a good one, Chris. Seagram's Extra Dry Gin. That blue and yellow label kind of matches With the, the blue, blue and yellow, flag. Yeah, he matches the cover, yeah. With the stars on, uh, on Act of Treason. So I can go for a Tom Collins. See, I could see like Mark Ross or uh, Stu Garrett drinking that, you know? Absolutely. Sipping on a Negroni. Sounds about right. Yep. <laughs> so what are we covering today, Chris? Let's get into it. Right. So today we're going to be wrapping up uh, Act of Treason, part two, going deep into the second half of the book, 
giving you our final ratings, covers, and title discussion, as well as our winners and losers. So before we dove into the second half, I just wanted to address, you know, uh, last week our theme was the devil in the details. And I think that you can see that continues throughout the rest of this book. You know, this book is very detail-oriented. It's like these minute little things that help... Um, really really help Mitch like un- uncover you know what's going on here and this is this book as I was rereading it I realized that this book is very similar to like the third option in the sense that we're getting like a spy novel we're going back to being yeah. a spy novel we don't have we have very short scenes of action we have you know the cap the capture of Gazich we have like some action at the end of the book really it's just like Mitch trying to figure out a a, a mystery you know like who who the hell killed yeah. the president's wife in, in the beginning, he doesn't even think that the president, the, the pre, he thinks the president's wife was an accident, but no, that that was actually, you know, what their cause was. And so I think that theme definitely sticks throughout. And then the second theme that sort of pops up, which this relates directly to our tagline at the end of every podcast, just let Mitch be Mitch. And this theme of do you trust Mitch? And specifically, does Irene trust Mitch and actually that does the CIA trust Mitch because yeah everyone has given him shit about he got the wrong guy he got the wrong guy you know he tortured this confession and we're gonna see right off the bat you know we left last time Mitch had handed over Gossage now we have agent Brooks who is in the office the CIA direct director or right outside the office and is about to get reamed by her bosses she ends up asking Irene this question, you know, do you trust Mitch? And Irene says, yes. And then, so she's like, well, I'm not going to tell you anything because you just got to let Mitch do his thing. And I think this, yeah. this was, I don't know, very interesting to me or, you know, showed me that you have people that really do trust Mitch in the field, especially like this brand new person who thinks he should be committed to a psych ward, yeah. you know, but she doesn't even she trust like him, him that much with her. No, I know she doesn't even like him, but she trusts him. Yeah. And we know Irene trusts him. Yeah, and there's this one other character in the room, Jose Juarez, who I think we just met, right? He's the director yeah, he's a new character. of the clandestine service. And so he's Operation, yeah. Yeah, of operations and, and he's their boss and he's Brooks's boss and he's reaming her saying, Tell us what you know about Mitch. Where'd he go? Are you assisting him? Because, you know, that's treason. And he's really trying to pin it to her. He's secretly pissed off at Mitch for ignoring orders. He's mad at Brooks for, apparently it seems, following orders from Mitch, even though he's not in her line of command at all. But she she convinces Kennedy, and Kennedy wants to go easier on her and say, I trust Mitch, and that's what's going to ultimately let him, like you said, put the pieces of the puzzle together. So, yeah, trusting Mitch is a necessary component of the game. Speaking of chain of command, where do you think Mitch falls in the chain of command? Is is it just him, then Irene, and then off like a little bubble? You know, if you were looking at the CIA org chart, because, uh, you know, he's been outed. So he's officially, yeah. they know that he's a, you know, he's not black or black, you know, black ops. Um, What's his actual is title? Is just him, he's Irene, like... and then him? Oh, he's assigned to like the Middle East desk. Yeah, Southwest Asian yeah. Affairs. I don't know. Would that be a top, top position, like number two or three? Probably not, right? He just gets a salary, but he and he gets to do whatever he wants to do. Well, maybe that I that was probably the agreement. We're gonna give you a title, kind of pretend you have an office job, 
but secretly everybody's going to be you do whatever you aware want. of you going out and doing what you have to do and you know who's going to be rap's boss like you could put somebody on the org chart it doesn't even matter <laughs> kennedy right. well, she's the only one it, he doesn't even take I, orders from her he's she's the only one he trusts enough and thinks is competent enough to actually listen to but that doesn't mean he's necessarily going to follow her orders he very often doesn't so is anybody really Mitch's boss? No, even in the future, with when you have like Mike Nash, who is, I guess, below Mitch, and then immediately gets elevated to being above Mitch. Yeah. Um, he tries. He tries to act like Mitch's boss, but Mitch is like, no, you're, that's not, not going to fly. <laughs> it's not going to fly. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I was just thinking of that when you brought up chain of command. Yeah. Well, Brooks and Juarez are going at it in Kennedy's office, and. Kennedy, you know, basically dismisses them and says, let's give Mitch some time here. She's waiting for him to come back, which is going to happen a little bit later on in the book. He will he will come in and touch base with her. And that's when they can finally together uh, put the pieces of the puzzle into place. But we also, in the meantime, have a lot going on with Stu Garrett, who nobody likes. And he is squirrely no, as usual. Happen. I feel like there's not too much else going on that was different from the first half. We know he's in bed with these this banker from Switzerland, Spire, and this guy, Cy Green, who's hiding out. He's not allowed in the U.S. He definitely has you know some warrants against him, and he wants his pardon. And Stu's promising him, you'll get the pardon. I'll, conv- I'll get Ross to convince Hayes. You'll get the pardon. And if the transition happens, which is now only a few days away, you know, We'll convince Alexander to give it to you, so no worries. But just more evidence that he and Ross, Stu Garrett and Ross, were in on this hit and were part of the explosion on the motorcade. So it's not much there going on, is there? No. It's, uh, there's going to be a lot. So we mentioned last time how we got these extended chapters where multiple chapters where we stayed with the single character, specifically rap. You can definitely see in the second half of this book, we very quickly transitioned back to a very Flynnian style of being, boom, we go one chapter Mitch, one chapter Irene, one chapter, you know, the Stu Garrett, Mark Ross, or yeah, Mark Ross plot. Um, yep. I don't know. I don't know which one I like better. Like I, I enjoyed, you know, staying with Mitch for a while in, in the first half. Yeah. Um, the second half leads to like this, you know, very... Uh, it's very thriller esque, right? You just go, you it, it makes you want to keep reading because like each chapter it speeds it up. Whether it, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, well, let's get to it then because the book does start ramping up once Rap takes things into his own hands and he's back on U.S. soil to start investigating what happened here. So he turned in Gazich, who was the assassin, and Gazich had told him, "I was given a phone call that said." Minutes before I detonate the bomb, hit the second limo. So now Rap's got to figure out, well, why the second limo? Why did Gazich lie to me? I got to go track down these leads. He's also going to bring into the fold Marcus Dumond. We find out that it's pretty cool. Rap had a house in Columbia Heights that no one else knew about. Yeah, that was a cool chapter. Yeah, he hides out there an investment property his father bought when he was a kid before he passed. And he remembered, like, cleaning up this house and taking care of it. And similarly, not far from 
that house in Columbia Heights is a coffee bar, Cafe Wired. And turns out that's where Dumont's command center is. Is that a real... Have you ever been to a Cafe Wired, Mike? Haven't heard of it. Nope. He says there's three of them. Yeah, it's a made-up place. Yeah. But Dumont's hiding out there. He's got an apartment up above. He's got his computer system down below. And they start hacking into... Well, I think before they start hacking into the the bank accounts. And the phone records. Yeah, and they're looking at phone records of who talked to who. I really like this. Thinking of disinformation campaigns and the role that's played in, well, our last couple of elections. Rap has demand post on a bunch of different blogs and message boards from different accounts spreading the rumor that they do have the wrong guy because rap really wants to set right. up the naysayers to really take a hard fall and pound the point home that they shouldn't jump to conclusions. And so Marcus is actually the first one to start spreading they have the wrong guy. Mitch Rapp might have tortured him. Why'd he shoot him four times? And Marcus made fake accounts to comment on his own blogs saying, yeah, I work at the State Department. I heard this too. And I mean, it's something the Russians could have been doing. It's the beginning of the bots. It's the beginning of the bots. Yep. The trolls. Marcus is a troll. He's trolling America. And then, yeah, they right. they, they end yeah. up with the, the bank manager and they realize... There's a bank manager who Decus, which was the assassin, was holding a lot of money, and they found a key to a lockbox at this bank in Geneva. And this was pretty cool how they send in Hackett and Wicker, don't you think, to go yeah. uh, force open this lockbox at the bank? Yeah, it's it, it's very spy and it's like there's going to be two men that are going to be showing in like a second, and then you're, you're going to let them in. You're gonna let, you're going to let them into this uh, safety deposit box. Any money that's in there, you can you can keep most of it, you know. And there, there was something like six hundred thousand dollars in, in yeah. the lockbox, so the banker was perfectly fine with letting him in. But yeah, like I, I love these are actually pretty cool. Even though there wasn't a lot of action, these are some pretty cool, you know, spy subterfuge type type scenes. Oh, that's another threat that they made, which was remember how it felt after nine eleven that Cypriot banks were holding on to and funding a lot of Osama's money, right? Do you want that to happen again and you lose your clientele and your standing by us saying that there are assassins and terrorist groups using your banks and you're, you know, giving them safe harbor? And so this man's just like, whatever you want, whatever you want, you know, sounds good. Yep. So as we mentioned, Brooks decides, you know, doesn't give up the information to Irene. Irene keeps trying to call Mitch. And finally he answers and he's like, I just need some time. I need some time. But meanwhile, Irene needs to show him these pictures. That'll be like the last little detail that'll yeah. spark, like connect everything for him. Um, but rap is on this, what was the term you, you had for it? Rapparations. So yes. he's he's gone to Marcus. He's gotten information from the banker. Now he's going to go on a series of different stops in order to gain more information to find out who the hell is involved with this, right? So he calls Warch, finds out where Rivera is. I like that little, you know, he called in, he yes. called in the fake bomb scare to Jack Warch. That was funny. Um, then he, one of the coolest things I think in this book is the the karate uh, studio where Mitch shows up. Rivera's like, I don't know, I guess she has some trauma because her, well, she lost a protectee and she, you know, her job is failing. But the whole scene where he's like this, first of all, she throws him on the ground on his gun. Which could have, like, I feel like that could have, like, gone off, right? Because he keeps it loaded. He keeps it loaded and with one in the chamber, so 
I mean, I'm not a gun expert, so but I just imagine that if you fall at it weird, it could misfire. Sure. And then he decides, and he asks the the sensei to give him the I forget what it's called, but give him the oh the, the robe in right. order to the robe. Yes, and the description that Flynn gives of how he's counter checking her moves, and he knows exactly what she's going to do, and yeah. he sees her go, uh, you know adjust her weight um and she knows that okay she thinks i'm gonna do this and so i'm therefore gonna counter by doing that 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 was i don't know i really enjoyed reading that whole sequence of uh, hand-to-hand combat movements and i liked like you said the detail was not only in the fighting maneuvers but also the ambiance and the experience of entering a dojo i thought i don't know where he got it from maybe has some martial arts history but flynn created this visual scene that was so vivid and i almost i almost felt like with zero martial arts fat dude me would walk into a dojo i felt like i would know what to do like that's how detailed it was i would like bow down to this person and i you know oh he he doesn't want to bring in his coffee i think he ordered a coffee but make sure to throw it out because it's disrespectful to bring in food to someone else's dojo and i was like all these little details like you you could pretend you're actually in this world it's pretty cool. Yes. No, yeah. I, I could envision myself in that dojo watching this fight go on. Yeah. But after that happens, he obviously chokes out Rivera. She realizes that even though she doesn't say he's the better fighter, uh, she thinks that she's going to be able to get him next time. They go to a cafe, and she informs him that she didn't shuffle the limos, which is something that he thought they had done. So this is like the first tick, like, oh, well... Maybe Gazers wasn't lying to me in that they had someone on the inside who want, maybe wanted to kill the president's wife, right? This is the yep. the first time where he starts to think, oh, maybe this wasn't a, a presidential uh, an attempt at the presidential assassination, but it could have been something else. Yeah. Because the spotter told the assassin, hit the second limo. I just saw them get in the motorcade. And if they shuffled it, well, then it would have been reversed. And Rap's like, okay, they made a mistake and they hit the president's elect's wife. But whoever hired them wanted the president-elect's wife out of the picture. And he's starting to say, who the heck could that be? That does not sound like the terrorist groups I'm used to hunting. You know, your normal al-Qaeda terrorist groups. And so he has one last ace in the hole, I guess you would say, or one last uh, lead to chase down, which was the Belarusian. The guy he yep. took back to the States from Limassol and disappeared. You know, he's in a, a speaking of a details and vibrant scenes, it's pretty cool. We see where the, the whole Baltimore seal scene? demolition company is operating in, yeah. in Baltimore. Yeah. Like an empty hangar. And Scott brought in like, I love how they describe the desks are like surplus government furniture, like from a regular government office. Yeah. And Coleman got it on the cheap for his business. So, yeah, Coleman has a whole um, complex. This book is shorter, but it doesn't lack for detail. Like, it's, I I feel like in some senses, the scenes are a little bit more detailed, yet it's not long-windy, you know? It's it's very interesting in that way. Yeah, definitely packs a punch. Well, we're in the the basement of this bunker where Coleman operates out of, and they've got the Belarusian, and Rap, he's got his methods to interrogate. I like this. He plays like a little cat and mouse game where he he says to the guy, 
hey, you want to you wanna be my friend, right? I said, yes, anything. You know, I work for a fellow intelligence service. And he goes, okay, well, um, you're sure you work for the KGB? Yes. And you were born in Moscow? Yes. And you're Russian? Yeah. And you really want to be my friend? Then why the fuck do you keep lying to me? And he calls him by his actual name. And he tells him, I know you're Belarusian. I know you work with the Belarusian KGB, and you're not actually, you know, the real KGB. So why are you lying? And the guy keeps protesting and fighting. And finally, Rap says, quote, if you want to keep lying to me, we'll do it the hard way, which means I'm going to have to string you up by your ankles and play baseball with your nuts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that was funny. Once Rap shows him he's pretty serious, uh, this guy starts talking and he says, my boss is the Belarusian mob. They were hired by somebody. I don't know who they are. And Rap goes, well, why would the Belarusian mob take money from, you know, the Muslims? And the guy's like, oh, fuck no. We hate them. You know, my crime organization and syndicate would never take money from them or do business with them. And he goes, then why did your boss take out a hit on the motorcade? And the guy's like, we would never do something so stupid. And we wouldn't especially do it for a terrorist group. And so right. now Rap trusts the, he, he, he trusts this is good information, and he's like, what the hell? Who wanted this motorcade hit in this way if it wasn't a traditional terrorist group? The final piece is when he goes back to Kennedy. Kennedy says, there's something I got to show you, and it's the pictures of the affair. And now they start thinking, somebody in the campaign thought sympathy points would play well in the media and gain brownie points. And that's exactly what happened. They won the election because of it. On top of getting rid of a problem that they had, like on top of Yeah, they don't have to expose the scandal. With a Secret Service agent, which would have definitely put them in the hole and probably damaged a lot of reputations. Yeah. But the last thing Kennedy says to, to rap is, hey, get Marcus to start looking into everything we know about Stu Garrett. And rap's like, Stu? He's just some loser. What's he capable of? And I like this from Kennedy. She goes, yeah, Mitch, yeah, yeah, yeah. there are some things you just don't know about Stu. He's capable of almost anything. And I'm like, oh, my God. That means Rap really didn't know the events of Term what Limits. What went on in Term Limits. Yeah, he doesn't know Scott's past. He doesn't know Scott's past, and he doesn't know that Stu Garrett was in the picture and Stansfield kind of let him go or um, and, and Coleman let him go as well. Which is crazy. Yeah, if that's a nod, you know, if you haven't read Term Limits, it just, the line sort of, it means nothing. But if you have read Term Limits, I was like, wow, that's one, you're acknowledging Term Limits. And and second off, it's it was kind of like, wow, Mitch Mitch really doesn't, like Coleman hasn't told him, like, what the hell happened? Like, the whole plot he did yeah. to, he killed, like, a couple senators and a congressman. <laughs> it makes me wonder if Rap even knows that. Like... No, I, I don't think he does, because then he would have known that he, he did it. Yeah. It's very interesting, considering how close he is to Michael O'Rourke. Yeah, that's true, too. But how could they keep Stu Garrett and who he is from rap? Well, maybe this is maybe this was Kennedy's play. Right. I feel like it's better rap not to know in that regard. Just, And that's what Kennedy says at the end. You know, We can't take Stu out right now, because it would cause too much suspicion. It would right. obviously be linked back right. to us, because they hated the CIA, and with the events of what was going to happen to Ross. Yeah. So once we have Irene showing him the photos, putting these pieces together, 
while that while, while rap has been going on his rapparations, we've had Ross who has been trying to figure out what essentially people know about because he knows that they actually got the real guy. Um, so he you know went and visited Stokes. Stokes thinks they got the wrong guy. Obviously, Ross is trying to play up that that angle. Rap definitely got the wrong guy. Ross and Garrett discuss the fact that well, at first they're like maybe they did get the wrong guy, and then they find out some more information that no, they actually got the right guy. And then finally, he meets up with this New York Times reporter at the hotel, and essentially throws Mitch and Irene under the bus, saying that this is the wrong guy. Mitch is they're going to be looking for a new job soon. They'll be on their way out. And this sort of New York Times story leads us into this very, very cool scene where, well, one, the reporter calls Mitch. Mitch tells him to go fuck himself. Uh, well, and, and he actually second, says, he hangs up on him saying, fuck you very much. <laughs> I like that line. Exactly. We have this whole, after Irene has been at, the, you know, the story comes out, Irene's at Langley. She has this argument with her top three you know, internal strife about this article. People like Juarez, you know, know that Mitch is fine. People like the, I forget their names, but, you know, these other two top division people, they think that personally, they think rap has gone over overboard this time. Uh, but the problem is they don't know all the information. Like Kennedy has that flash drive that shows that Gazich is a, <clears throat> excuse me, a Bosnian, you know, war criminal and that he's not a good dude. And that obviously Mitch had to take him out while he got the chance. And this leads to the press conference where she calls for a press conference with the president or the president calls for a press conference with Irene. Garrett and Ross think that this means the president's going to get rid of him. So they're watching, sipping sipping their martinis in the hotel. Uh, Hayes gets up. We get one final scene with Hayes where he gets up, commends Irene, hands it over to her. She then proceeds to do this whole PowerPoint presentation explaining why Gazich is the guy and, you know, what sort of information they have about him and drops the ball that yeah. this was a, you know. Listen to all the details, though, she gives. Like, devil in the details, it the puzzle is finally together, and Kennedy presents it in just a brilliant way in this package in front of the White House press corps. And one of the reporters tries asking her questions, and she goes, Look at the quality of the evidence. It's all here. She's got the recording at Starbucks of the man in the red hat. They've got a Secret Service agent on record saying, I saw a man in a red hat. They have this Alexander Dekas entering the country under an alias and a different name, footage of him at JFK. And they have a recorded confession of him saying, I picked up the van on this day. I drove the van here to here. I went behind this tree. And she goes, we have an intelligence operative in the field who went there and said this is exactly how he would have done it, exactly as this guy said on tape. And she just presents this clear-cut case in a really convincing way. And I love watching Stu and Ross shit bricks in their hotel room. And just the life drains out of them. But thinking of the details, there's one other thing Kennedy does in the press conference. And this is the advice of Rap. Rap tells her, hey, by the way, when you're up there, say that we have a couple of other leads to who paid these guys and who hired the assassin, and we're currently tracking right, them down. Right. And say, 
we can't discuss anymore, but we have the financials and we know the bank accounts where the money has come from and we're tracking down who was responsible for hiring him. They didn't really know all of that yet, but it was the gamble. And Kennedy says that and Rapp's like, hey, sound really convincing when you do it. And that makes Ross and Garrett like, oh, my God, is this going to be connected back to us? But you wanted them to make a misstep. Yeah, you wanted them to make a misstep and they do. That triggers Stu to, in just a few hours, scramble and get on a plane to Geneva to go talk to the bankers and try to, you know, hush them. And it's that move when Marcus flags Stu's passport that Rap goes, that little bastard. He gets the boys together, gets the team, and hightails it out to Geneva. And this is probably our, our last action scene. Not too much action, but yeah. it's like the denouement of the action. Yeah, because we knew, because we got one last piece from Rivera that it was actually Garrett who told her to, yes, one, the first lady wanted the agent cash, and two, that they were going to take separate limos. So at the very last minute, they were already sort of tracking Garrett like that's suspicious. Um, and then as soon as he fly is flagged going to Geneva and then look at the the phone records, it, they put it all together. Yeah. And we get, you know, some pretty rapid seeds here in Switzerland where they meet up all four of them in a, a very fancy restaurant. I just thought, and then they are openly talking about yeah. everything. I, I did not see this as, as plausible. I didn't see it as plausible. I felt the same way. I was like, how Maybe are they in like a back room? Open... They were literally in the yeah. dining room. In the dining room. There was even a line that was like other customers heard them arguing and were leaning in and like, yeah. what are these crazy people making a scene over here? Would these four guys, including the campaign manager of a presidential election, just be in the open having this conversation? So weird. Along with uh, like the, the, the mobster too. The mobster was there as well. Yeah. I mean, that leads Rap to getting this recording. He asked Marcus, did you get this? Yep. And then he moves in. So as they leave the restaurant, they split up, and they're going to get back together for a party later that evening. We already know some pretty crazy sex scenes go on in this apartment, and they were going to have this big bash. <laughs> and one of them says to the other, hey, bring a friend. And we know, I think it's Spire, who is into a lot of crazy He's sex gay. stuff. Yeah. And so bringing a friend means, you know, bring somebody to get into the action. And so Rap grabs him and says, I'm going to the party with you tonight. And knowing they're expecting a random guest. And so Rap takes the elevator up with Spire. He asks him, he goes, give me every last detail of the apartment. Where do the guards stand? What do the guards do? Do they wand you? Is there a metal detector? And he kind of cuts Spire this deal saying, hey, look, if you cooperate with me, and we know it's these other people, it's the Cy Green and the others who really were funding this hit, I'll let you go. You're just a, a Swiss banker. And he's like, why Why would you do that? And he's really nervous. Why, why would you give me my life and not the others? He goes, you're going to work for the CIA. He's recruiting. This is some old school like CIA recruit, recruitment. Yep. 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 And he oh, says, oh, great. when we need you, you got to give up your list of people who bank with you, account information. And so even these super secure Geneva banks, which are the hardest to crack, Mitch just got a guy on the inside because he let him live. And he's going to yep. watch Mitch kill the four other guys, the two at the party, Cy Green, uh, the, the two bodyguards, and the two at the party, including Cy Green. There, there was even a line where 
Spire was like, what do I get out of it? And Mitch was like, you get to live. <laughs> you get to live. Which, if we get to the Oval Office, is not the same for Mark Ross. No. And, oh, my God, this scene. Mm-hmm. So I was talking to you before about the two scenes that I remembered from this book. The two scenes that I had remembered, not specifically from this book, but just remembered in the rap universe, was the explosion on the motorcade Yep. And Irene getting her first like kill on book yes. or on page. This was yep. some pretty crazy stuff. I, I love this scene. She comes in. In the previous chapters before Mitch goes off to to Geneva, she asks for like, she wants some sort of file on Ross, you know, his medical file. Yep. And she had kind of had a feeling already that he had this problem. And with Juarez's help, she's able to have these two medicines that one to aggravate him and the other one one's to mask it and the other one is to actually kill him because he has like this heart problem and i don't know, just the writing and in fact she she has the coffee she her hand lingers over the top of his and you're like yep. what why did he write that you know and then i can just imagine like reading it for the first time remembering reading it for the first time and be like holy shit irene just killed this dude yep and i think rap even has that same yep rap same thing holy shit irene you just killed somebody He's like, are you okay? Are you, are you dealing with this well? Like, I know. <laughs> because he probably knows what it's like for people in their first kill and how they could become a wreck. Sure. He's probably trained sure. in so many people. He's like, Irene, are you all right? She's like, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm good. She's like, I did what I, I did what I had to do. End of story. She explains it in a way that it's no different than me telling you to kill somebody. Is one, one sure. person removed, you know, be like, go kill this person. So... I, I do think she's probably, I mean, he, fucking Ross was a piece of shit. So I, yeah. I, I can kind of see <laughs> Irene not, not giving a shit, yeah. you know, and not, in a, you know, but, uh, you know. You're right. She, she's, she's also she's killed my girl. by proxy. She's my girl. She knows, she knows her hands are not clean because of how many times she's killed by proxy by giving orders. So she's, she's tough as nails, man. Yeah. What do you think about this camera in the Oval Office? There was a little detail where. To further insulate Kennedy, she would do this so clandestinely, no one would see it, that she actually wanted the video footage in the Oval Office to prove there was no foul play. That he was just sitting in a chair drinking coffee and he goes down. They say there's a camera 24-7 recording the Oval Office just in case. You think that's true? That only gets turned off if the president asks it to get turned off? Yeah, I, I don't know. It sounds sketchy. I mean, doesn't everything get recorded in there, too? I guess so. Yeah, I guess it's all taped. I didn't think video recorded, but I guess so. I don't know. I wonder where it is. I thought it was was kind of ballsy. Yeah, I thought it was kind of ballsy, like, letting Warch and and Rivera in on it. But obviously, they didn't care. No, but that was also one other detail. Warch doesn't care because he's all in with Mitch and Irene. Rivera, though, well, she's really pissed, right, at the Secret Service, but they also needed to check the logs. This was devil in the details. This was another key. Rivera, they needed to go through the logs because Mitch wanted to know who did Ross and Stu meet with. And the night before it was published, they met with the New York Times journalist. Right. And so that gave even more fuel to the belief that Ross was the leak, and he was the one setting up Rap and Kennedy to take the hit and lying about them. And Rivera also 
plants Viagra, which in Ross's like travel bag, which is, was also laced. It was laced inside the, one of the drugs and it, it, you know, all, all in a means to not have his body, you know, his wife would find that and be like, what the hell is he using Viagra for? You know, I don't need him to, I don't need them to find that in, in the toxicology report. So we're not going to do an autopsy type thing. It, It was a perfectly, perfectly planned assassination. For this book lacking a lot of action, it makes up for it with its amazing oh, yeah. spycraft and the puzzle, the whodunit kind of puzzle and little details. Everything has a payoff. I mean, that's the book. And I, I just wonder, how do you feel, Chris, about this book in the end? Because I don't know if I would call it a typical a typical rap book in terms of him kicking ass and taking names. How would you categorize this? We see a lot more rap as the like a thinker in this book, like yes. putting together pieces, trying to figure out a mystery almost. Um, obviously, he has his action scene in the beginning and his kills at the end of the book. But yeah, I just feel like we have a lot more of, you know, he's going from this place to this to this person and, and you know, squeezing this guy and using subterfuge, using you know, some sort of clandestine method to, you know, he freaking turns a guy like mid, yeah. <laughs> mid chapter, you know, gets some guy to be a CIA, uh, spy. Uh, that was awesome. He's like, yeah, you're going to work for the CIA now. Especially like I, when I, I love the show Homeland, um, and that just made me think of like everything that Carrie did in, in that show. Yeah. But yeah, no, I would agree with you. This is n- not a typical rap book in terms of, I mean, I guess, I guess he's chasing down things in, Memorial Day, but that's like a bomb. This is like, you know, because that's chasing down, typically it's chasing down like a plot to save something. Mm-hmm. In this case, the person got killed, and now we're trying to find out who killed him. Yeah, He's more of a detective, more of a detective. Than, than, yeah. Than, yeah. You know, this book could almost be a Skip McMahon spinoff. With Skip doing sure, everything, like I could see. I could see Skip being that person. Absolutely, like Skip could have been Mitch in this in this novel. And I would actually say that's part of the weakness of this storyline was there was some like combative. Well, the FBI wasn't doing good enough, and they were missing things, and their investigation was overlooking key details. I'm like, yeah, but we know Skip. Skip don't play. Skip don't act that way. That's out of character. It that's was out, out of character. character. Yeah, so. The fact yeah. that, like, I think the whole thing, they got into the thing about the red hat guy, and then they were like, he doesn't exist, but yet rap has him on camera, so wouldn't he yep. just give that picture on camera? I, I don't know. I was confused with that, and I, I just felt like Skip ignoring that was very out of character for him. Same. Um, but I guess you gotta you got to have something. I don't know. Yeah, I felt the same way with a few details like that. But, but speaking of what you said before, all the espionage and how this is more one of those kinds of mystery thrillers and a little less an action thriller. Kennedy nails it. She has a quote, and I'm going to read this. Uh, It almost sounds exactly like one of my absolute favorite spy novels, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and the Le Carre Carla trilogy, where Carla, this Russian intelligence operative, is turning MI6 and uh, British intelligence inside out with like triple layered subterfuge and misdirection. And l- look at what Kennedy says here. This book, this two or three lines from Kennedy here, I think perfectly summarizes what I love most about this book. 
So she says, quote, There was spying, there was subterfuge, and then there was espionage. Real, old-fashioned espionage, where it wasn't enough to simply steal the enemy's secrets. One had to launch double, triple, and quadruple feints and get them to turn on themselves. Misdirection layered upon misdirection until the enemy couldn't trust their best friend. And so to close the loop on our do you trust Mitch line, which could have put the kibosh on everything Rap was doing if Kennedy didn't trust him, and Brooks didn't trust him, and Juarez wanted to bring him in, and they, the, the whole CIA tries to bring him in, well, we would have played right into the hands of the enemy. You know, like in Tinker right. Tailor Soldier exactly. Spy, we were, the British were playing into what Carla wanted. Uh, they were falling apart and turned inside out. Well, here, the CIA was to, could have been turned inside out, and the whole public opinion was turning against rap and saying they got the wrong guy. And I was nervous. Gazich could have walked. Well, he, he got shot have. in both knees, so he couldn't well, have walked, walked physically. Literally, but... He could have been scot-free. The Greeks were even going to the State Department saying, he's a Greek national. How dare you take and torture an innocent Greek national? But it was all a fake name, a fake identity. We, With a new administration coming in two days, they could have let the assassin of the president's wife walk if it wasn't for rap and what he's doing. That's how turned inside out the country was by Stu Garrett, by Stu fucking Garrett. Yep. You know, hating Garrett made its way into my double limerick. Speaking of misdirection and subterfuge, you didn't think you were getting a limerick, but we decided to put the limerick at the end. So I got it for you. Give it to us. You ready for this? I'm ready. There once was a prick named Stu Garrett. So nasty and vile, I couldn't bear it. His plan falls apart. Hitting the motorcade? Not smart. This funny business? Rap and Marcus will air it. Irene executing her first kill. In the Oval Office? What a thrill. An act of treason will be the reason that there's no vice president on the Hill. Because Ross is dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, we forgot to mention, too. Rap really wants to kill Garrett, but he has to wait a oh, year. And yes. we'll immediately pick up with that storyline in the next book. Oh, we will. I think the payoff for hating Garrett definitely comes full circle with Protect and Defend. Pretty good last line to close out the book. Right after Kennedy kills Ross and Rap's all amped up. All right, we just got to take Stu. And Kennedy's like, yeah, that would raise too many red flags. You know, the campaign manager and the vice president both dying after this big scandal and this big win for the CIA two days before the transition when we knew they hated the CIA. We got to kind of lay low and let things let things lie, which Stu Garrett, he already got that lucky break in term limits. He's kind of getting a lucky break again. Kennedy, she goes, Mitch, stay away from him until I say the time is fine. And Mitch goes. Fine, but we are going to kill him, aren't we? And the book closes with Kennedy saying, yes, we are. I love that. That was, that was great. Uh, I, I listened to it via audiobook and George Guidel, um Sometimes when he does rap, he, he does, does them as like very giddy. And he's like, <laughs> fine, but we're going we're gonna to kill him, right? Like, 
you know let's um, go one thing one thing about uh just also people who listen to the audiobook i found that even though i didn't like the person who read term limits i thought that they did a way more annoying Stu garrett than george goodell because george goodell's voice itself just i feel like can't be annoying yeah like it's just so melodical but this guy who was already kind of annoying when he read Stu garrett he made him like super annoying and that's exactly how i envisioned him speaking of envisioning garrett though you brought this up to me who comes to mind yeah. when you think of our two most hated villains, if you, if you want to call them villains, of this book? And I totally agree with you. I couldn't get it out of my head. Every time I saw Stu, I thought of that guy from House of Cards. And he, again, Stamper. he's chief of staff. Yeah, Doug Stamper, played by Michael Kelly. I have no idea what else he's been in. But he was Couple just things. he was just like the definition of a weaselly, annoying connected dc politico who's going to run a campaign and be ruthless kind of like in house of cards you know his boss i he's still to me in my mind yeah no i almost feel like the writers on that show had to have read this book and, and thought of him i or maybe i'm th- maybe there's someone else who's inspired that character but right that's great think of him though made me think who who do you think of as mark ross like this confident politician has dabbles in uh, national security and intelligence. What's in your mind when you when you picture Ross during all these scenes? Him barging in on Kennedy's office, trying to pull rank. Do you have anybody in mind, or like a description? I'm trying to, th- I'm, I'm trying to think of from like like a homeland or. You know, some or or like how another House of Cards character, and I'm blanking. Like, who, who do you have in mind? I just, it's kind of a little outdated, but Vice President Hoynes from West Wing, and maybe uh, not, okay. maybe not necessarily him. I don't even know who plays him, but he's got to be like middle aged, but on the younger side, kind of a big imposing figure. You know, he's got to have that dark brown hair, jet black hair. Always in a suit. You're never ever going to see him not in a suit. I just, to me, just kind of like that asshole bureaucrat who just always wants to run the show and boss everybody around. I just, I don't know why Hoynes from West Wing comes to mind, but there's probably a couple other actors who fit that that persona. I feel like there's a character in like 24 who who reminds me of him, and but I can't. I I'm blanking mm-hmm. on the guy. But anyways, yeah. yeah, there definitely probably is. All right, Mike. So. What's your final rating of the book? Give me your number. I think, like I said last time, it's definitely middle of the pack. So out of 20 rap books, does not crack the top 10. But I, I don't think it's going to be as low as the bottom five. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be middle of the pack. I liked it enough. I probably have to go low to mid eights. I'm going to give it the benefit of an 8.5 because of how well-crafted the spy stuff was and the misdirection and, and that quote by Kennedy I just read. So I'm going to go as high as 8.5, but it's uh, it's right in that range for me. How about you? All right. All right. Uh, well, we're in agreement. I, I think it's very, it's very good, but I, I, it's not, you know, definitely not in my top. It's probably in middle third. That's exactly where yeah. you, if I had to break every, all the books end up into thirds, it's definitely not in the bottom third but uh, definitely not in the top. So I also gave it an 8.5. So 
That's what we got. Well, you know how we like to wrap up talking about the covers. We've got some good ones here. Something a little different. And I figured out, thanks to the help of a listener, cover C. Chris, you know why we've never seen a cover C in print? Or at least me. Why? I've never been to New Zealand. Mika, our listener from New Zealand, you can find her on Twitter at Mika, M-E-E-K-A underscore N-Z. She said that is the standard mass market paperback in the Australia-New Zealand region. So oh, like, interesting. Yeah, every time it's on like a shelf in a supermarket or a store, 70% of the times that's the cover you're going to see. Always cover C. So my hunch about being the international line, there it is. Well, if you guys haven't seen on our uh, Instagram or, or Twitter, the covers, um, this week we don't have power lines, uh, cover C. But I actually, I'm going to do a hot take, and I actually really like cover C this time. It's it's kind of a cool cover. Not going to disagree. There's no there's no time where Mitch is like, well, Lima I guess Soul. besides Lima Soul, but like that's not Lima Soul. That's like, yeah, that might be Soul. True. <laughs> uh, you know, or New York City. But I could see like he's looking out of the city trying to figure out, you know, what the hell is going on. It, at least like there was some sort of abstract, you know, explanation for this. So I kind of like to figure C. But if if I had to go traditional... I really like G. It's it's essentially yes very similar. So it's a it's a just to describe it for the listeners because this is not an audio. This is an audio uh, medium. Uh, we have the American flag, but in, it's being obscured by like fractured glass. Yep. And it's sort of the flag is waving, obviously. And so this one is very similar to A, which I believe is like the original uh, mm-hmm. cover, right? Yep. Which is just a waving flag. With active treason in in gold, I, I kind of like the this fractured glass. Like, yeah, you, know, you could imagine like maybe that's like the the, the uh, windshield of the limo. You know? Absolutely, yeah. I'm right with you. C and G are my favorites. The glass was so smart relating to the motorcade. You know, we always bitch and moan about how none of these covers relate. actually relate to the story. Well, G, it's got the. the the smashed glass of the motorcade. I love it. And the fact that it has the flag behind the glass, I think it's an homage. It gives it gives respect to the original first edition cover of having the flag. So Yes. Yeah, I like them. Yeah, most of our listeners liked A, uh C, um A C and G, the ones we liked, as well as you know, a lot of people like B, uh, which is uh like the our running man where you have Although he's not running, he's just walking up the Capitol steps. Uh, and I think a lot of people like this because it's the the common paperback yep. that you get nowadays. Yep. So, uh, and as well as F, which is like a again an homage to the original one, just a different color and different coverless scheme um, of the flag. You know, what we've had I think three books in a row. If I go back to Mem- Memorial Day, is the last one I could think of an action cover. I really like E. Like obviously, it doesn't relate to the book. But it's just we we see this. Is there ever a time where he's 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 holding an assault rifle? No, <laughs> with a scope, never. And crouching down in front of like some burning, the buildings actually in the background look like they're DC. Like that could very well be a DC building in the, the background. explosion, the ex- yeah. or the explosion with the color scheme. 
but I really like that we I mean I don't think it relates to the story it's not a great cover but I like that we see these badass commandos like dropped right into the action on the cover I want to see where that's in print something about that one tells me it's something in Europe I don't know why see I you either have to have a cover that I think relates to the book and looks nice or you have to have a cover that looks nice and makes you want to pick up the book yeah it might not have anything to do but like the power lines don't make me want to pick up the book no it's an empty field half the time all right you're right though about this one doing something different cover c it's pink it's got the clouds a man standing on the corner of a building maybe that's like seeing the big picture rap sees the big picture of the puzzle c could almost be the cover of like divergent though (laughs) that's true yep that is definitely true or like Hunger Hunger Games in the capital. Anyways. Well. That's Act of Treason. That's Act of Treason, yep. Good book. That was nice. Good book. Lots of fun. Speaking of covers, I hear that we're getting a cover announcement soon for Enemy at the Gates. So we will be sure to comment on that as soon as you see it and we see it. We'll give you our hot take and our thoughts on that. Next week. We'll be running a special interview. We have a couple of different guests in mind, seeing who we're going to have ready for next week for you. But please expect one of our bonus pods as an interview, someone very closely connected to the rap universe. All right. So we have to thank our patrons, including our special operator, Sherry F., and our special agents, George, Matt, Don, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, and Jeff. If you're still listening at this point, I... We forgot to mention at the top that if you want to become a patron, you can do that on our website and be entered in this month's book drawing. We meant we did mention at the top to subscribe, rate, and review us uh, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us online at MitchRapPod.com or on Twitter and Instagram at MitchRapPod. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch. Disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster, although we thank them very much for their content. The music soundtrack is Guerrilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks. Boom, baby.